Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. Speak. Hello. Hello. And welcome back to This Is Gonna Sound Weird, a podcast about all things true crime, paranormal, and everything in between. I am your host, Sydney. And I am your host, Taylor. And this week, and is that ooh. where we go next? Well, you might as well now. You've opened it. You've opened this can of worms. So you're going to have to just tell us. Tell us what our theme is. Okay. Our theme this week is crimes of passion. Passion Whoa. fruit. Mm-hmm. Could be. Passion pit. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, just watch an episode of Snapped. That's probably a crime of passion. Yeah, that's very true. Yes, all all of those types of shows, uh, you know, yeah. I have uh, I have what's it called like sinus pressure, and I think it's pressing on my brain. It's making yeah, because I just keep I keep I keep talking to Taylor, <laughs> and she just keeps look like looking at me like, like if she was a cartoon <laughs> when she blinked, her eyes would just go pink pink. Like I'm just like looking at her, and she's like, "There's nobody home." I'm not gonna, the lights are off. There's not a car in the driveway. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if it's my audio, my headphones, or what, but when you're talking, it sounds like somebody's beating a trash can lid, and that could also be from my pressure. I would like to go on record and say I'm not beating a trash can lid, um, so it could, could be your headphones. I hope to God it's not your sinus pressure It's making... <laughs> It sounds like that. Um, but, you know, y'all send your prayers and your thoughts to Taylor in this time of evidently um, terrible health. Yeah. I think it's also, you know, school's in full swing. Yesterday I had class for like eight hours, which like, you know, if you think about it, you're in class like in elementary school for like eight hours. But like, it's not like hardcore class, right? Well, I had like four straight hours of contracts classes yesterday one was regular contracts the other one was technology contracts very spicy um but at seven o'clock when I was done I went to make dinner and Brandon was like are you good he he said what you said that there looked like there was absolutely nothing in my eyes and that my brain had been basically plopped out of my skull and just laying across the room uh so yeah I don't That's know. law school for you. Um, if you're thinking about going into law school, I'd like for you to just take what she said, really think about it, put a pin in it, and then come back to it, you know? Mm-hmm. I would not suggest. I know that we used to go to school for eight hours a day. I won't go back. I can barely do an eight-hour work day. Yeah, it's rough. I ain't gonna lie. It's rough, but we doing it. We getting through it. Uh, I mean, I've only done it one time. That was the first time I've done it this semester, and I've got to do it, well, a lot more. So I'll keep y'all updated on how it goes. I'll keep y'all updated if I have a brain by the end of the semester. My brain's probably so fucking wrinkly. I know it gets wrinkly when you learn more. My brain just looks like that uh, little old lady on SpongeBob, the one who likes chocolate or hates chocolate. No, she hates chocolate. God, <laughs> fake, she's a she's a fake fan. She's a fake fan. <laughs> Anyways, 
But yes, go ahead and um, I guess, you know, let's just go ahead and dive into this week's story because um, I don't know how much longer Taylor's brain can function today. Yeah, there's a little man in my brain. His finger's on the light <laughs> the switch. I'm, there, yeah, I envision <laughs> like a man just like turning a wheel, yeah. just like turning a wheel <laughs> and he's getting tired and so he's turning it slower. <laughs> Maybe he, maybe he needs to put some WD-40, grease up the wheel so it can turn easier. Uh, but yeah, go ahead and tell us your story this week, Taylor. Uh, tell us your, about your crime of passion. Okay. I know you know a lot about this because you've talked about it uh, in evidently many of your classes about people with crimes of passion and killing their significant other. That is true. Okay. So I'm doing mine on Maria Barbella. So these are my sources. Murderpedia, the Maria Barbella page. And you know when you're on Murderpedia, they kind of have it broken up where they take just like stuff from different sources. So the main source that I used like in the the Murderpedia page was murderbygaslight.blogspot.com. And then uh, wikipedia.com, the Maria Barbella page. Kept it simple with the sources this week. Uh, so Maria Barbella was born in... Ferrandina Basilicata, Italy. I'm sure I butchered that, but y'all get the vibes. Uh, she was born there on October 24th, 1868. And in 1892, her family immigrated to Mulberry Bend, New York. And at this time, she was about 24 years old. So her parents were like, pack it up, we're going to America. Now, about a year after she immigrated to America, she met a man. And the man's name was Domenico Cataldo. And he was actually from the same region of Italy as her. And she met him because he worked at like a shoe shine booth that she had to pass every day on her way to work as a seamstress. And so when they first met each other, they started spending time together, but they did so in secret because Maria's overprotective father, they did not want him to find out. Um, and Cataldo, you know, they were really, they were really going steady. And Cataldo told Maria that he wanted to get married to someone and eventually open up a barbershop. And Maria was like, oh my gosh, that sounds great. We'll make, you know, get married, start a little business, cut people's hair and such. Uh, but unfortunately, Maria's father ended up finding out about this, uh, little romance. And he told Maria that she could never, ever speak or see this man again. But... Cataldo was not going to take this. He was like, no, I'm not okay with this. And he wanted to continue seeing Maria because obviously they was going to get married to start a barbershop. And he, you know, he convinced her to come see him again. And so at this point, um, the relationship wasn't great though because Maria like came back. They started hanging out, dating or whatever. And uh, one day Cataldo took Maria to a boarding house I'm not quite sure what they meant by boarding house. It kind of seems like he was living there. So maybe it was almost like a hostel type of situation. But Mm -hmm. he took her back there. And while they were there, he allegedly drugged her and then raped her. So we really went from zero to 100 really, really quickly. Um, But oddly enough, following this horrific incident, Maria was ashamed Um, And she didn't want to go home to her parents. I guess she didn't want them to know. I don't know how they would know. But she also didn't want to tell her parents. Uh, So instead, she just demanded that Cataldo marry her. 
Uh, and Cataldo said that he would marry her. And that apparently he showed her a savings book with $400 in it. And somehow this was supposed to prove that he was going to marry her. I guess he'd be like, look, yeah, I can support you. I got $400. Which, like, at the time, $400, that was probably a good chunk of change. I didn't do the uh, conversion. I mean, shit, $400 cash? That's already that's already pretty impressive. Obviously, he is not afraid of getting mugged. So he's got baller energy yeah uh, honestly especially in like new york at this time in the 1800s she so following this incident at the boarding house uh, maria stayed living with him at this boarding house which is which is why i think maybe it's like a hostel type of situation um and she hoped obviously that the two would get married and she wanted them to get married as soon as possible however months went by and cataldo continued to put off the wedding And the reason that he kept pushing off this marriage was first, because he was seeing other women. And second, because he was actually already married to a woman in Italy. And he and the woman had children together. Oh. So, I mean, I don't know why he was out there trying to push off that barbershop fantasy. But, you know, at the time, I feel like women, I don't know, but I feel like, you know, now people casually date. But I feel like back then, you are you typically probably aren't going to casually date a guy who you know you're not, not ever going to marry. So maybe he just told people, he was like, yeah, I really want to get married and do this. So they would like, you know, hang out with them. But now this part, I don't know. He said not only was he married with kids, he told Maria that he was actually uh, wanted to end their relationship and he was going to move back to Italy with his wife and family. Um, but he also told her this. Is this an old-timey case, but also this guy just seems a little... He just seemed like he trying to string, string a girl along. Because he said, look, Maria, I'm not going to marry you, right? But we'll set up a situation where we can still see each other. Oh, great. I'd love to be your side chick. Uh-huh. And that's what he said. He said, quote, I'll find you a young man willing to marry you. I'll tell him you're a widow. I'll buy you a black dress. You'll marry him because I want you to. Then I'll come visit you while he's at work. End quote. Oh. <laughs> so. Seems like, a, seems like a solid plan. Yeah. The part that really got me, you'll marry him because I want you to. Oh, great. Thank you for so, you know, after all this, on April 26, 1895, Maria and Cataldo, they were still living together at this point, but obviously they were arguing. And on this day, they were having a pretty big argument, you know, probably about the fact that uh, he had a whole ass family. He was going to move back to Italy, but then he also wants her to marry a dude in a black dress and then be her side, be his side piece. So, you know, there's a lot going on. Um, and during the argument, Maria's mother, Philomena, showed up and she apparently knew of the whole situation and she wanted Cataldo to marry Maria as well. And on this day, she came to the couple's door and begged and pleaded that Cataldo married her daughter. And this was not the first time. Apparently, uh, Philomena had come to do this many times before. At this point, I guess they all really wanted Maria to marry this man. But Philomena's pleas did not convince Cataldo, and he actually was planning to board a ship back to Italy that same day. So I'm kind of guessing maybe that's partially what they were fighting over, maybe, is that he was literally about to hop up out of here. And so at this point, I guess Cataldo just wanted to get out of this situation. I'm sure Philomena was yelling at him, Maria was yelling at him. So he pushed Philomena out of the way and ran down the street to a bar called Mancuso's Bar, 
and it was about, it wasn't very far from their house. It said it was about two doors down from where they lived. And he went to this bar, I guess, to chill out or whatever. And he started playing cards with some of the other patrons. But about 10 minutes after he got to the bar, Maria arrived. And she once again was like, please marry me. I need you to marry me. Um, and, mm-hmm. and to this, apparently he shouted, quote, only pigs marry. But then another source said that he actually said, only a pig can marry you. And obviously the second one is, uh, that's a little more hurtful. So I'm not sure which one it is. Um, I would think it would be the second one, yeah. seeing as he is already married. So he probably wouldn't be calling himself a pig, right? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And uh, I think it's probably the second one. Um, so at this point, once he said that, Maria walked up to him and tried to put her hand on his shoulder, but then he attempted to like push her away. And at this point, Maria pulled out a straight razor and slashed Cataldo's throat. She she slashed his throat so quickly that he did not even have time to scream. Um, but he didn't die immediately. So following having his throat cut, he clutched his throat with his hands and staggered out of the bar into the street and he was gushing blood and he started to kind of run slash stagger through the crowded streets as bystanders were watching just horrified and he this is very dramatic oh yeah and so he made it a little ways down the street uh but he ended up falling over and he ended up dying uh obviously from bleeding out on the street so the man died on the street um but maria you know after slashing her former lover's throat she went home changed out of her bloody clothes and uh, very soon after the police showed up at her door to arrest her apparently it wasn't very hard to find her and she wasn't trying to hide and it's reported that when the police arrested her she said in broken english quote me take his blood so he no take mine say me pig mary and i quoted it um in her broken english because that comes into play mm-hmm. a little bit later. Uh, I mean, she's only lived in America at this point, not very long. So, you know, I'm sure she's not the best at the English. If I moved to Italy, I'm sure I would never be good at the Italians. No, with with a, a fine American accent like yours, you don't think you'd be able to, uh-uh. to pick up that romantic language? Uh-uh. Uh, I, I, you know, took Spanish in college a few, a few semesters and I couldn't tell you shit. I could count to 10. That's fair enough. <laughs> so the police. T- That's important. <laughs> the police took Maria to the New York Halls of Justice and the House of Detention. Uh, they also called it the Tombs. And she remained here for two and a half months until her trial began on July 11th. And so at the trial, prosecution presented their case and they argued that Maria committed premeditated murder. And their claim was that Maria had taken the razor to the bar with her on that day for the purpose of slashing his throat, which I'm like, yeah, I get it. I mean, why would you have a straight razor just like chilling in your dress? It's like the 1800s. I mean, you got a lot, but I don't think you'd be carrying Um, a big-ass purse. You know, that's fair, but i also be thinking, she's a young young woman in New York City. She might need to keep herself safe. That's true. You never know. That's true. 
Now, during the trial, Maria was not able to give a great testimony about what happened because of her broken English. So, what she had to do was to tell her story in Italian and that they had a court-appointed translator, like, given to her. So, I guess her English was so poor that she couldn't give her uh, testimony. But, unfortunately, the translator basically sucked. Um, and instead of, you know, like, I feel like a good translator or even a good person in sign language, they, like, give the energy and the passion that the person is giving. Uh, but apparently as he mm-hmm. was translating it, he was probably like, and then I took out my razor blade and slit his throat. It was apparently very dull, very mm-hmm. monotone. And it really uh, just seemed like it was boring the jury, which to me, I feel like the translator probably did it on purpose because like he's working for the government and a prosecutor is the government. So they're probably like, hey, you know, don't be telling this story to make people sympathetic. Just say it real, real boring like real matter of fact Uh this is what happened yeah i cut his throat yeah and so not only was her translator subpar her court appointed attorneys were also subpar and it also didn't help her case when the judge addressed the jury before they deliberated and told them the following quote your verdict must be an example of justice a jury must not concern itself with mercy the law does not distinguish between the sexes the fragility of the female sex is sometimes involved to excuse savage crimes. We cannot publicly proclaim a woman not guilty of killing a man solely because this man has proposed marriage and then changed his mind, end quote. So, uh, basically, he was like, look, just because she's a woman, don't be like, don't take it light on her. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's true. You, you can't just take it light on her, but you can't judge. I don't think you can say that. You can't say that. No, you can't say that. No. I mean, you I mean, you can say that. But you should not. But, but you shouldn't say that. <laughs> no. And so, following this statement, the judge uh, dismissed the jury into deliberation. They deliberated for 45 minutes, and then they announced the verdict of guilty. And she was guilty of first-degree murder. So... Maria was sent to Sing Sing Prison near Albany, New York. She was the only female prisoner there, which I found odd. Um, Mm -hmm. But, I mean, maybe at the time they didn't have, like, female-only prisons because maybe there wasn't that many to make a full prison. I don't know. But she was the first female prisoner on death row, and she was also set to be the first woman executed in the prison's newly installed electric chair. Wow. Wow. Can't believe she's going to get to use that fine piece of equipment first. Uh, Now, following this death sentence, controversy stirred up around her case. Many of the Italians in New York felt that the verdict was unjust because, first, there were no Italians on the jury, and because of her poor representation during the trial, which was from, obviously, her attorneys, the fact that she couldn't really tell her story. Um, And then other people just thought it was wrong to execute a woman, and others were against the death penalty altogether. And so a lot of people petitioned mm-hmm. the governor, Governor Morton, to pardon Maria. But he didn't pardon her because she had an appeal that was open and that had to be decided. And so Maria was actually granted an appeal on the basis of the jury instructions. Because apparently in the jury instructions, the judge explicitly argued in favor of a conviction. 
Um, which makes sense because of the statement that he made before the jury even went in for deliberation. So I guess uh, mm-hmm. the instructions that he gave were probably uh, very heavily basically like, hey, you need to find her guilty, wink, wink. And uh, you can't do that. If you're a judge, you have to make your jury instructions airtight. Because if not, that will get an appeal, which you do not want. So, after 11 months in prison, Maria's appeal succeeded and she was granted a new trial. And so, at her second trial, it started seven months after that. And in this trial, Maria's counsel was much better than the first time. She was painted in a much more sympathetic light. And so, at this point... Uh, the defense, like counsel for Maria, they did have the potential to put on a case of self-defense. There was apparently an eyewitness who had said that Cataldo, during this little, right, like before he died, that he reached for his pistol just before Maria sliced him. Um, so basically they were like, you know, she thought she was about to get shot. And so she had to pull out this razor and kill him. But they decided that they weren't going to go with this idea. Instead, they were going to argue that Maria was not guilty because she had an epileptic seizure when she killed Cataldo. Now, not really sure why this was their course of action, uh, because apparently this defense had only been successful maybe four times ever in the history of ever, um, and it had never succeeded in the U.S. And for me, it don't sound very convincing um, because I'm not sure... It sounded like she really sliced him good, quick, and swiftly. And most people, I feel like when you have a seizure, you have, like, tremors, obviously. And I don't think seizures make you resort to murder. But that is just my... I don't, you know, I'm not an expert. I couldn't say. I've never had one. Haven't either. Um, If you have had one, not, you know, you don't have to tell us about your personal experiences. But if you can have seizures where, like, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's just your brain... I mean, I know, obviously, seizures come from your brain, but, like, if it doesn't create a physical response, I don't really know. Um, But, basically, the defense started out their whole case by saying that Maria had mental illness in her family history. They talked about how uh, she was a sexual assault victim of Cataldo and that all of this just exacerbated her pre-existing epilepsy and mental illness. But they also did sneak in a little bit the fact that Maria acted in self-defense just to be like, oh, and by the way, she did also act in self-defense. But the defense argued that when Cataldo shouted, um, only a pig can marry you, that it triggered Maria to have an epileptic seizure and then that made her kill him. Uh, So Maria also gave her testimony this time. And at this point, she was fluent enough in English to tell her own story without an interpreter And she stated during the testimony that I guess she was in such a fragile mental state that she didn't even have a memory of killing Cataldo. And following the epilepsy defense, experts on both sides uh, saying that the defense was good and saying that it was bad battled it out. And then following this battle, the jury went to deliberate. This time, the jury only deliberated for 40 minutes and they brought back the verdict of not guilty. So... At this point, Maria was a free woman. And less than a year after her release, she met another Italian man named Francesco Paolo Bruno. And the two actually got married on November 4th of 1897. Then in 1899, the two had a son together named Frederick. And following this, she basically disappeared from public view. Um, I guess she was tired of the media, tired of the circus. Well, I mean, there's still media back then, obviously. 
but uh, she was tired of all the the hubba blue. And not much is known known of her after this, but it is known that in 1902, she lived with her husband and her parents, and I guess her son. But then in 1940, on the census, it was shown that she had actually changed her name to Mary de Chiara, and she was living with her second husband named Ernesto. And she died on March 4th, 1950, and is buried in the old Calvary Cemetery under her changed name. And that is the story of Maria Barbella. I don't know how to feel. I don't know if she should be guilty or not guilty. I feel like since it's such an old case, I would need a little bit more information of what actually happened at the bar. Yep. Uh, I would totally agree with that. Um, I feel like I need a little more information. My gut tells me she killed him because she was pissed off. But the feminist in me is like, you know what? He deserved it. Yeah, that's kind of me. I'm like, I think she probably should have been held guilty. But, like, not the death penalty. Like, she actually should have been guilty of a crime of passion. Which, like, in the legal terms would not hold such a harsh you know punishment but obviously this was the early this was like well, late 1800s and uh the laws have changed a lot since then yeah like i don't think she went with the intention to kill him but i think in that moment she was just so angry with him and you know was embarrassed because you know he literally was like nobody wants to marry you you suck basically in front of all the people at the bar and I can just picture all the probably old dudes at the bar being like ha ha woman wanting to marry him and he said no she's so desperate blah 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 I could see I could see yeah and I mean it's also probably fairly embarrassing that her mom was there I'd be like you know like when your mom like you're already pissed off then your mom just be edging you on you're like god mom stop <laughs> please stop make make you make you want to kill somebody I swear <laughs> um, yes that was my story and I'm sticking to it well thank you for that um you know perhaps it you know, we'll revisit it with some more information one day. One day. <laughs> but probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I think this is pretty much a closed case. I think so, too. All right. Are you ready for my story? I am. All right. Good, because I'm going to tell you it. This week, my crime of passion is on Sid and Nancy, who you may have heard, you may have not heard, but let me go ahead and uh, tell you a little something. Okay. So... My sources are rollingstone.com and wikipedia.com. And here we go. So Nancy Spungen was born in Philadelphia in 1958 and was described as a, quote, difficult child, bullying her siblings and being expelled from school at 11 and spending time in a mental institution for schizophrenia as a teen. Mm. After high school, Nancy briefly attended the University of Colorado before dropping out and moving to New York City at the age of 17, where she supported herself through sex work. She then became involved in the punk rock scene of the city and gained a reputation as a groupie. And now, it's 1975, so New York at this time was at the height of the heroin epidemic. And you know what I've noticed? We've had a lot of, of drug epidemics. We've had the heroin mm-hmm. epidemic. 
crack epidemic. I feel like now the, I don't I guess. know if it's an epidemic, but I feel like obviously the major issue is like prescription drugs. I don't know if they consider oh, yes, that. the opioid yeah. epidemic. Yeah. We are in the, we're in the midst of that. So that was just thought. The height of the heroin epidemic and the punk rock movement is blowing up. So here comes Nancy, who has this kind of like bad bitch, I don't give a fuck attitude. And she just sort of rolls up to all of these concerts and hangs around with all these rock stars and is like, yeah, like, quote, yeah, I'm a prostitute. You know, I don't give a fuck. And um, she would just roll up and basically bring drugs to bands. And that's how she would be able to, like, hang out with all these rock stars. Uh, uh. She'd just roll up with hella drugs and would do drugs with them. And so she would follow these different bands. She's known as a groupie. And in 1977, she actually followed the band The Heartbreakers to London, where she began to briefly live there. And this is when she met Sid Vicious, who, you know, as you can imagine, not his real name, but that's his stage name. (laughs) (laughs) Of the Vicious family. And he was the basis for the band The Sex Pistols. And Sid had joined the band in 1977 after the group's original bassist had left. And it's kind of a fun fact. He didn't actually know how to play the bass when he initially joined. Damn. So um, I don't really know how that came about. If they were like, hey, we need a bassist. And he was like, all right. Now, to be fair, I feel like if you were going to pick up any rock star, you know, instrument aside from maybe a tambourine (laughs) i feel like the bass would probably be maybe the easier of the ones to pick up i don't know i know you gotta have big hands so you probably would not be very good at it i would not be very good i have baby hands yeah you should probably pick up small the triangle i'll pick up i'll pick up the triangle or the tambourine (laughs) so sid and nancy quickly get together and they become inseparable And this is all despite the fact that the fellow members of the Sex Pistols hated Nancy. Mm -hmm. So, see, they really saw her as domineering and combative. And their distaste for her went so far that they actually ended up banning her from their 1978 tour. Dang. I'm like, damn. I feel like as a rock star, you probably deal with a lot of bullshit. So, you know. It must be real bad. I imagine must be bad um it also kind of reminds me of it's these are obviously very very different scenarios but like the beatles and yoko udo mm-hmm. and how like the band was kind of like can she fuck off and she was like i will not fuck off yeah th- i will fuck on instead see whenever one person in a group gets a boyfriend or girlfriend you know everybody's like man now she's gonna ruin the vibe you're bringing a girl into our group of dudes I mean, I guess Nancy, maybe she wasn't the best. But I feel like probably if he had brought in any lady, they would be like, no, we don't want a girl here. No girls allowed. No girls allowed. I don't care that she brought drugs. (laughs) I'm a rock star. I can buy my own. But despite all this, Sid and Nancy toured through the UK and the United States together with the tabloids dubbing Nancy as, quote, nauseating nancy because of her frequent public outburst so um with peace and love i'm just gonna go ahead and say the bitch was crazy yeah sound like it Um, it really see 
And I feel like she had kind of like maybe some anger and aggression issues. It probably uh-huh. had to do, you know, from her childhood mm-hmm. um, combined with, you know, drugs. Yep. Drugs will make that'll you do it. act a little different. Yep. That'll do so. it. Both Sid and Nancy suffered from addiction. Sid's mother had been a heroin addict, so their relationship was pretty toxic in that regard. Because obviously, you know, if you're struggling with addiction, you know it doesn't help having your significant other also mm-hmm. suffer from addiction. Mm-hmm. Because they're not going to be uh, very good at helping you, you know, not be addicted. No. They very much enabled each other. And during their 19-month romance, Sid became addicted to heroin. And it seemed that the more Sid spent with Nancy, the more he began to dislike everything, with the exception of heroin and Nancy. Not good. And from all I've seen, I've also seen that, like, it seemed like Sid had kind of a a shyer personality compared to most rock stars. So, like, obviously, he he was going to, you know, how should I say, like, he was going to be attracted to people with, with more, like, outgoing, mm-hmm. like, confident personalities, which I think is what Nancy had. Um, you know, because it's kind of like one of those opposite attract thing. You know, if you're very, like, loud and opinionated, you probably are going to be with someone who's not as loud and opinionated. True. Because, you know, if, if you're too similar, you're going to be fighting all the time. And in January 1978, in San Francisco, the Sex Pistols ended up breaking up. Mm. Which was, you know, kind of a long time coming because throughout that last tour in 1978, the one that Nancy was banned from, there was already so much arguing going on amongst the band um that i think they just were like you know what we're done yeah it ain't i have a band breaks up yeah i mean uh i don't don't, i'm not a huge fan of the sex pistols but i was pretty i was pretty upset when one direction decided to call it quits i could only imagine what those fans were going through Mm. Mm. i didn't really like one direction so that was a Jonas now, Brothers they gal. they decided to go in multiple directions. Damn. I do like Harry Styles, though. Fucking liars. I do like Harry Styles. But we already saw, we already knew this. Yep. So on August 24th, 1978, Sid and Nancy moved into the Chelsea Hotel in New York City. And they moved into Hotel Room 100. And the Chelsea Hotel is known for housing a lot of like, rock stars and musicians of the time, like, Bob Dylan stayed there. So, over the next few months, both Sid and Nancy spiraled into a deeper drug abuse. Mm. And Sid's addiction was at an all-time high, with many people witnessing Sid taking around 30 tablets of Tuanol, I believe is how you pronounce it, which was a you know, obviously a fairly large dose, um, larger than what most people could have survived oh. taking. Um, so he took that on the night of October 11th and just basically took him and was out cold. 
He was, as the article described, comatose. And that night around 2.30, so he took the, he took all those pills on October 11th. And then at 2.30 a.m. on October 12th, Nancy had asked Rocket's Red Glare, that is a person's name, um, who was Sid's bodyguard, to get them some dialadudes, which is a opioid opioid painkiller. Opioids. <laughs> the, opio- the, the opioids pandemic. <laughs> uh, obviously, before we started recording today, we were trying to read birth control ingredients, and uh, we're not great at reading those uh, medical names. So, I feel you. I couldn't read nope. the active ingredient in my old birth control. <laughs> I had to try it like three times. No. This is off topic, but I saw this hilarious video where these girls have their boyfriends read the side effects. You know, like when you open a pack of birth control, they have like a list of side effects uh-huh. that could happen. They have them read all of these. They're like, what? <gasps> and these guys are freaking out. They're like, oh, bleeding blood clots. They like lost their minds. Yeah, as funny. they should. So, at around... 7.30 a.m., quote, female moans were heard by other guests of the hotel, and at 10 a.m., Sid called down to the front desk asking for help. And when help arrived, Nancy was found dead underneath the sink on the floor of the bathroom. She had been stabbed in the stomach with a knife and had died due to blood loss. She was just 20 years old when this happened. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so she basically, like, moved to New York at 17, you know, and then I think she must have met him at, like, little, like, 18 or 19, because they were only together for 19 months. Damn. And then Sid was found wandering the halls of the hotel in an agitated state and was immediately arrested. He pled not guilty and was released on bail, being released on a $25,000 bail supplied by Virgin Records, which was their record label at the time. And Sid shared conflicting stories of the night Nancy died. Initially, he confessed to the crime, but then he later denied, claiming that he had been asleep when she died. Which, you know what? You could probably believe that. I mean, if he took 30 pills... There's a good chance that he was out cold. Well, yeah, and you said, like, before this happened that he was, like, comatose. How do you wake up? I mean, I don't know. You may tell me. But, like, wake up and then kill somebody? That seems like a lot to do in a drug-induced state. Well, you know, that far in. I know, obviously, drugs can make you do crazy stuff. But once you're to a certain level, you can't do shit. Mm Mm-hmm. So... It was long rumored that Sid owned the knife that killed Nancy. However, according to police reports, the knife that killed Nancy was a Jaguar Wilderness K11 with a 5-inch blade, while the one that Sid owned was a 007 hunting knife. Uh And according to sources, Sid was wrecked after Nancy's death and tried to commit suicide but was unsuccessful. A few months after Nancy's death, friends of Sid had a party at the Greenwich Village apartment that his new girlfriend was staying at. 
So Sid's mother, Anne Beverly, was in town at the time and brought drugs to the party. And on the morning of February 2nd, 1979, Sid was found dead of a heroin overdose by his mother and girlfriend. Police found a syringe, a spoon, and substance near Sid's body. He was only 21 at the time of his death. Good God. And so, at this point, because they didn't really have anything else to go off of, because, you know, Sid died before anything could go to trial, the case was essentially just closed. So, Nancy's murder was not really investigated further than what had already been investigated. Which has kind of led to a lot of conspiracy theories about what could have happened. So, you know, what many people believe is that Sid killed Nancy, which would be, I I would say, you know, is a pretty good bet. I mean, they kind of had a wild, crazy relationship. They both were actively doing hard drugs so it could be that maybe they got in an argument um and or he was so high on drugs that he killed her in a crime of passion um Mm -hmm. but many believe that nancy's death could have been a robbery or drug deal gone wrong so rocket's red glare who was the man who supplied the drugs the night that nancy died could have been the one to actually kill nancy so the theory is that perhaps he tried to steal cash from their hotel room, um, seeing that Sid was, you know, out cold, and that Nancy saw this and tried to confront him. And Nancy was known to be a pretty confrontational person, so, you know, I imagine that if she saw you trying to steal something from her house, she would probably be, you know, pretty vocal Uh and be like, what the hell are you doing? So, you know, the thought behind this is that perhaps he stabbed her in the stomach and peeled out, taking cash as he fled. Because there was cash missing from the apartment. Uh-huh. And he was later, like, rumored to be confessing about the theft and the murder at a punk rock club, showing handfuls of of blood-stained dollar bills to prove Ooh. that he was the one that had committed the crime. Right. But it's, this is kind of like, a, you know, an all he says, she said, because obviously, like, there's no proof of that. But some also believe that Sid couldn't have murdered Nancy because he was, quote, out cold after taking so many drugs and argue that Sid would have not killed Nancy unless her death was actually a, quote, botched double suicide Uh Sid loved Nancy and he wouldn't have killed her although it could be argued that oftentimes you know the person that loves you the most is the one that ends up killing you true and if it was a drug induced thing I mean who knows what you're thinking at that point you may not be thinking about how much you love this person Mm mm-hmm but that is the story of Sid and Nancy. Um, and, you know, it. I'm going to leave it up to you. Is it a crime of passion? Is it a, you know, is it a robbery gone wrong? Like, what do we think happened? Um, I think a lot of people just, you know, you're like, oh, these two people had kind of a volatile, crazy relationship. 
it makes sense that, you know, one might kill the other. True. I mean, even if it wasn't a crime of passion in that he killed her, I feel like the overall passion and heat and volatileness of their relationship was heading them down the path of crime or what happened to him, which was an overdose at... Like, mm-hmm. honestly, if she didn't die that night, she probably wouldn't have been, you know, sadly, but far off from what happened to Sid not long after. Yeah. But there's a movie on this that I, um, uh, it's an older movie, but I'd like to watch it and see, you know, I feel like this story is a little bit romanticized. Yeah. Uh, if you're like, oh, it's the punk rock era. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, thank you for that. I think I'd heard that, like, before, but for some reason, I was thinking that he was the one that had got killed, uh, so I forgot. I don't, I don't know when I, I listened to it on a podcast, like, a long time ago, but yes, thank you for that. That's, uh, I don't know. I don't know what happened there either. See, both of ours, they like crimes of passion, but, like, what really happened? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Some could argue that every crime, like every true crime, is a is a crime of passion. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's our theme next week? Our theme for next week is cults. Now, we have done a previous episode on cults, but mm-hmm. we, you know, they're so interesting. They're so odd. Yep. I'd like to revisit it. I would, too. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've actually watched a couple documentaries on a couple different cults recently. So maybe I'll choose one of those. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how much time I have in my schedule. If it snows this weekend, I should have a lot of time. <laughs> That's true. We're supposed to get snow here in North Carolina. Um, I'm hoping that we get a nice, good bit of snow so I don't have to go to work this weekend. That would be great. Um, but we shall see. I like the snow. I know a lot of people hate the snow. I like the snow. Um, I like to make snow cream. I like to build a snowman. I like to do it all. Yeah, I'm not sure how I'm feeling about the snow. Um, cold weather in general right now has just got me all up in a tizzy. Uh, my sinuses are like, this weather can fuck right off. Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see. I just, I'll just stay inside with my humidifier and just look out the window at the snow. I'd like to see Tex go out in the snow. That'd be fun. He's only seen snow. Oh, that would be Maybe, cute. like, once. But the last time it snowed, I don't know how he did it or what happened, but he cut his foot. And I don't know if y'all have ever had a dog who cuts his foot. Um, but that shit bleeds. And it bleeds a lot. And also, it's hard to get your dog to keep a bandage on its foot without chewing it off. So we had to put the comb that we put on him when he got his... Uh, his little balls removed. We had to put that on him to keep him from chewing on his foot. Anyways, so, yeah. Yep. Um, on that note, <laughs> on the note about Taylor's dog's balls, um, we're going to say follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, um, you know, slide in our DMs, mm-hmm. and most importantly, stay weird. Goodbye. Goodbye.